You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. A very good evening to you and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight, our resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley, who writes for Food & Wine magazine, will be in the studio to talk about her latest dining spot. She's back in Cork again this week, I believe. I'm out on my travels and called to see Chef John Fitzmaurice at Malochny's in Clontarf. And many of you might remember John from his time in the mustard seed in Ballangarry, County Limerick. At the recent Wise Traditions Conference in Limerick's Tomond Park, I got the chance to sit down with one of its guest speakers. Patricia Daly is a cancer survivor that attributes her recovery to her diet and has an inspirational and interesting story to share with us. And then finally, at the end of the show, Shane Smith from Yes Chef magazine will be on the phone to explain how a cycle in County Clare this May is going to raise money for Cystic Fibrosis Ireland. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. That's me. It's always great to hear from you and one guest that it's always wonderful to hear from is our regular restaurant reviewer, Rachel Keeley, who has just joined me in the studio. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, welcome back. Hard to believe it's March already. I know, I know, and Easter only around the corner. Yeah, it doesn't seem that long since you were here and we were talking about David Cenzo's in the George Hotel in Limerick City. Yes, and fabulous Italian it was too. I'm still full from it, I think. Well, you told us the last time you were here that you were heading in the Cork direction to a place called Brick Lane. Yes, um, it is a large bar restaurant on South Main Street and I had seen a lot of chatter about it online so um, I knew I had to go down and and see what what the fuss is all about. Well, it's very interesting that you say that, that you saw it online because people have asked me, how does Rachel decide where she's going each month? Um, Yes, there's no real, uh, I suppose, answer to that apart from kind of keeping ear to the ground, essentially. And ear to the ground nowadays, a lot of it means Twitter. Um, Not so much Facebook, but a lot of the people who would know a lot about the industry, like yourself, Sharon, would talk about uh, different restaurants and different chefs they might have come across. And the same names start to reoccur um, and the same same locations. And then if you have a look at the menu, have a look at the people behind it, um, often that's how something comes to mind. But you're always looking for new places so people should always. tweet you if they come across a new place that they think is worth a review. Worth oh, a well without a doubt because it's all about word of mouth you know um, food and wine the reviews are, are, are put in the magazine in order to serve the readers the readers who are diners like you and I so if another diner has a recommendation for those readers we'd be delighted to hear about right. hear from them. You do go incognito you don't go in. Oh gosh, Hello, yes. I'm here from food and wine magazine. <laughs> oh good God no not at all. Who would want that you know you want to go in and, and see exactly how a normal food a normal food and normal dinner is served um, in that restaurant you wouldn't want any fuss no I'm lucky to be honest I put on makeup that day (laughs) well it's not always restaurants it can be places that are pubs with with bar food and that's Mm -hmm. what Brick Lane is I believe it is I mean you know the magazine is food and wine there's you know it's about more than just food it's about um, going out for a few drinks it's about atmosphere Um, it's it's about cocktails about different types of wines so obviously we're always keen to, to look at the overall picture so in this case, Brick Lane, um, it, it would probably be more veering towards a bar than a restaurant. Um, but it does serve both and seems to be quite popular for both. Uh, brunch is a very big thing. Unfortunately, I didn't make it there for the morning, but I managed to slip in just before dinner at around four or five o'clock. Okay. 
So it was yourself and Anthony, the husband? No, myself and my mum, would okay. you believe, yes. <laughs> she was home from France. She was, exactly, yes. Um, so we, we grabbed a little bit of time together, which is which is great. Uh, but we did bring a doggy bag home for Anthony, so he didn't okay. miss out entirely. I'm sure he wasn't <laughs> happy that you were home without him. But he does get lots of, of other places, so he, he doesn't really have too much for complaint. So your mum and you decided to go down to Cork for the day. Was it a weekend visit? No, we went actually went down on Wednesday. Um, so it was midweek, which is probably a quieter time to go and, and visit a place that is more bar centred. Um, but it still was quite busy. There were still quite a few people milling around. We, we went, to, I think, just in the time between lunch and dinner, which can often be quite quiet uh, for bars and restaurants. So it, it afforded us the opportunity to really enjoy it and sit back and, and take in the environment and interact with the staff. So it was probably a good time of the day. Well, tell us a bit about the environment, the interior, the ambience. Um, well, the interior is um, is interesting. It's it's attractive in a sort of like hipster modern way. Um, it's exposed brick, which is always lovely to look at. It's in a, one of the older parts of Cork, and um, it has a sort of mix of textures like parquet flooring up against the brick. Um, you've obviously got a little checkered fronts on the bar and things like that. It's also like fun touches as well. They have unicycle stools going around the bar, so um, a little bit of sort of fun and levity that's that's added to uh, what is probably a very considered and serious interior design as well. Unicycle stools. Unicycle Sharon, yes, complete with wheels and pedals and the whole lot. So, like, are they stationary? Can you sit on them and, and eat on them? Or are they for moving around with? No, I'd imagine that gets quite dangerous after uh, a pint or two. So, yeah. <laughs> they're stationary. Now, I wasn't brave enough to try one, but um, I believe they're, they're stationary and uh, blue and red. And as I said, a little bit of funky fun. Okay. Mm. So it's for a certain age group then by the signs of it? Um, it's probably a bit of a mix. Uh, like that evening we were there, there were quite a few students. I mean, given that it wasn't quite yet five o'clock in the in a Wednesday, afternoon <laughs> they're the only people who had the time off um, but at the same time I do see from online a huge amount of people going there at the weekends for brunch uh, who would be more let's say my age group you know sort of like 30 to 40 region okay and the menu then, what sort of food do they offer? Um, the menu was f- fairly limited, um, but at the same time, uh, it does have all the favourites, the, the things that would come to mind when you do have a few drinks. Pizza and burgers, fries, they had sharing platters, things like that. Um, so, you know, while there was nothing hugely imaginative about it, you wouldn't go unsatisfied. And what did you and your mum order? Well, we started with ordering a plate of nachos to share, just thinking they'd be a little kind of light bite to, to begin with. Uh, it, but then we got served with this enormous tower of uh, crispy uh, tortillas. So we um, we tucked into that at first. They came with side portions of uh, guacamole, sour cream, and a really, really spicy salsa, which is lovely. It, it well, you love the spice. You're I, all about the spice. I am, I am. And normally salsa is one of these sort of, um, well, salsas you find in in a lot of restaurants it's this generic watery tomatoey um, kind of sauce and uh, this one had real flavour in it and packed a punch so it was, it was something a little bit different um, so we started off with those but then as we realised that we were going to end up very very full indeed if we kept going at them we sort of pushed them aside and our mains arrived so I had a steak sandwich for my main course um, it was presented on a wooden board uh, with fries and dips quite pretty in terms of presentation and a steak knife driven through the middle of it and um, 
I had slices of griddled bread uh, that was drizzled with a really fresh tasting pesto and then inside there was a huge amount of teriyaki beef which was mixed with roasted red peppers and really kind of tart fresh rocket leaves. But that sounds nice now for a steak sandwich, the teriyaki beef. It was something a little bit different, yes, absolutely. Um, now the teriyaki and the pesto together, to me it was a tiny bit distracting with those two fairly strong flavours mm. um, and as, as is often the case with slivers of beef, it wouldn't have been at times it was a touch chewy do you know that it, because it doesn't have the, the big cut of beef to be able to chew, to be able to work from sometimes I find that it can absorb the heat too fast and get a tiny bit overcooked um, but overall yes the flavours are very nice the roasted red peppers and the rocket were, were a lovely addition I haven't seen that in a steak sandwich before and that was very very tasty What did your mum have? My mum had a huge rack of spare ribs uh, absolutely enormous plate um, pork ribs they were slathered in barbecue sauce and then served with a bowl of paprika spice batata brava so a very very comforting very earthy meal I like the sound of the batata bravas yeah something a bit different actually you don't see that too often on, on menus so it was really nice um, to, to be able to have something aside from chips or wedges this was a day trip so what were you drinking well only we would manage to go to a bar and uh, bring cars with us so we couldn't we couldn't indulge in the huge array of cocktails and it, I think it is very much a cocktail bar it's where people would go for something a little bit more interesting than the standard the standard drink they might get in a more traditional bar um, now they did have uh, what I found really interesting um, a chalkboard list of non-alcoholic drinks and I'm, I was, I'm always really impressed when restaurants and bars go to an effort to create something imaginative and something a bit innovative for their non-drinkers you know we don't all want to go out and get smashed every time we go out so it's nice to, to have interesting options other than Diet Coke and, and sparkling water um, so when their mixologist arrived we asked him could he provide us with something of his own recommendations he listened to what we preferred in terms of tastes and flavours and then set about making two really really nice cocktails dare I say it probably the nicest non-alcoholic cocktails I've had yet really? mm. what were in them? Um, in my one uh, it was served in a, in a pretty sort of silver pewter tankard and it had uh, mint and ginger beer or ginger ale should I say uh, soda water uh, crushed ice um, really really fresh refreshing flavours and then my mum because she said she wanted something sweet but not too sweet he mixed fruit juices um, kind of balanced out the sweetness with addition of bitters and then served in a very pretty little champagne coupe with Aww. some passion fruit on top sounds lovely yeah even the effort of serving these non-alcoholic cocktails in pretty vessels goes a long way you feel like you're, yeah. you're indulging in Absolutely. something a little bit more there's only so much sparkling water and diet coke yeah. and whatever you can drink exactly and if you're out for dinner you want something a little bit more special than that so no I was very impressed by that did you have any dessert? We didn't have so much as an inch of room after all those nachos. There was not a chance for dessert. So, so no, we um, we called it a day after our after our cocktails. No coffees or anything. No coffees for once, actually. No, um, though I probably could have done with it for the drive back to uh, Limerick. We set out in Cork traffic at six o'clock, so that wasn't our brightest idea. <laughs> Has to be done sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. So the damage in terms of the bill. Again, a quite good value. Um, I think we spent somewhere along uh, approaching €45, Euro, €46, Euro, um, and that was for two mains, a uh, large starter, uh, two non-alcoholic cocktails. So, so again, uh, not bad given the generosity of the, of the portions. There was a really lot of food going on. Now you said it was in the old part of Cork City. Um, yes, well, I only know that from looking at the inside of the... Of the um, at the actual building itself they had stripped back all the walls and exposed the lovely uh, brick I think if I remember correctly it um 
it used to be a grocer's or something along those lines. I'm sure the, the guys behind Bricklane will be able to tell us a bit more about it. But um, you really got the impression that they, while they obviously had to, to, to bring in, you know, funky, interesting interior decor, they were also sympathetic to the, to the environment and they wanted to bring out the best of the building too. Is it city centre? It's Main Street, yeah, one to three Main Street. You, you can't really miss it because um, it has a really big awning at the front and a, a patio, which is quite busy even on the night we were there. Okay. Well, that is Brick Lane down in Cork City, and you're going to be back next month, but you don't know where you're going yet. Not so just yet. If anybody <laughs> does have any suggestions, they should tweet you at RM Keeley. That's it. That's where and you catch of me. course, you do put all of your reviews and links to the Food and Wine magazine reviews that you do on your website, which is rmkeeley.com. Cool. Brilliant. Rachel, thank you as always. Great to have you here, and we look forward to talking to you again next month. Very much looking forward to sharing. Thanks so much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunte. Lovely as always to have Rachel in the studio and I hear there was a technical issue during that interview and I sounded like I was in a tunnel. Just got a note there. So I do apologise for that. And as Rachel and I were saying there, she's always looking for new places to review. So if you do have a suggestion for her, be sure to email me the details s.nunan at live.ie so I can pass it on or as she said, drop her and I'll tweet. Still to come tonight, there's a chance to hear an interview I did at the Wise Traditions Conference in Limerick's Tomond Park. I got the chance to sit down with one of its guest speakers, Patricia Daly, who is a cancer survivor and she attributes her recovery to her diet. So she has a very inspirational and interesting story to share with us. And finally, then at the end of the show, Shane Smith from Yes Chef magazine will be on the phone to explain how a cycle in County Clare this May is going to raise money for Cystic Fibrosis Ireland. Now, though, it's time to have a catch up with Kerry chef John Fitzmaurice. John was working in the mustard seed in County Limerick up until last year when he moved to the Big Schmook, as they say, to a restaurant called Malochney's in Dublin's Clontarf. So when I found myself in Dublin recently, I was delighted that he was free for a chat and a catch up. And we'll have a listen to that now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. John, it's lovely to see you here in Malochneys in Dublin. You're home for nearly a year now since you left the mustard seed in County Limerick. Do you miss us down in West Limerick? Ah, yeah, I miss I miss all the boys in the mustard seed. I miss Dan and John Edwards and Angel and all the rest of them. Um, it was a lovely place to work, and it was they were all very good to me, and they were always very good to me, and I learned a lot there. And um, I was very young when I got the position, so it was. Um, it was fantastic by that, and it was fantastic for my career. It must be, it was brilliant for my career. So in the past 12 months, moving to Dublin, it must be a completely different change of scene, ours, the culture, everything. What have been the, the major differences for you? The volume. So Malachny's is, for want of a better term, it's a neighbourhood restaurant in Clontarf. And it's completely different to anything that I would ever have done because my background would be fine dining so it would be like mustard seed chapter one places like that and um, Malachny's is volume so you could do 300 for breakfast 250 for lunch and 200 for dinner in one day so it is it's intense and that presents a completely different set of challenges um, which is interesting and there's a very good buzz off of it to be honest I think Chefs look down their nose at things like breakfast and stuff, but brunch in Dublin is massive. Absolutely massive. And 
from a business point of view, brunch is fantastic. A Sunday brunch can cover half your expenses for the week. It is massive. And um, it's intense and it's fast and it's mad. And, but there's a great buzz off it. And when it goes really well, there's actually a very good sense of satisfaction. And um, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting. Um, so I'd have like, I would have come from the mustard seed where there have been four of us in the kitchen. I was sous chef, so I'm head chef here. I have eight chefs. I have, you know, five kitchen porters. There's about 30 waiting staff. <laughs> you know, it, it's a beast. It's a huge team. It's a beast by comparison. And, um, but it's brilliant for me because it's, it's, it, I think that the thing that chefs forget, and the thing that chefs in general, their biggest weakness is, is that they forget that at the end of the day, a restaurant is a business. And a restaurant has to make money to function. And um, here I really get an insight into the business side of it. And it's also, I mean, f dining is cyclical. So fine dining is not in vogue at the moment, and it's not even remotely in vogue at the moment. It is the Malocknies and the Pichets and places like that that are the in places. It is that good, like, that higher middle end is exactly what is trendy at the moment and what is in vogue. Tell us a bit about the menu then. If people are coming from up the country and they're going to, to come out to Clontarf to the restaurant here, what can they expect to see on the menu? Well, if you come for dinner, um, you'll get... like It's all Irish. We will only use Irish stuff. It's the first place I've worked where even all the fish is completely 100% Irish. It's the way we work. It's the system. We get very good Irish products. We get like... Um, wild boar from Ballinwillen Farm in Mitchellstown. We'll get venison from Wicklow, pheasants from Wicklow. Um, we only use Cumra Mountain lamb from Waterford. Um, so you're getting a very high level of produce. And because I'm quite lucky, we have like, I have a very good team of chefs at the moment. A very, very good team. I couldn't ask for better. We, we're doing a level of food that wouldn't be that could pass for fine dining a lot of the dishes you could put on a fine dining menu and they would sit in so we're doing a very good level of food for our price point where we're like we do two course two two courses and a bottle of wine for 65 euro you're not going to get cheaper than that anywhere <laughs> anywhere and it is it is a very good standard of food for that so like you know you get your Cumber Mountain lamb you might get it's almost like an assiette so you get like a little lamb croquette, you get a piece of shoulder, you get a piece of rack, and you might get a piece of leg filler all in one plate. So it is, it's interesting. And at the same time, like we'll do, you know, then for lunch, you know, you'll have your burger. But even if you look at our burger, like we'll only use, it's all 100% Irish. We blaz our bun because it's the only Irish, I suppose, burger bun. And it's, you know, cashew blue cheese and mushroom ketchups. And it's the Clontarf bacon that comes from just up the road. and. Um, you are a Kerry man, so is there any Kerry produce on the menu? Is there any Kerry produce on the menu? Not at the moment, actually, oddly enough. Uh, we only use Kerry gold, if that counts. Of course. Um, <laughs> at the moment, no, there wouldn't be anything. Um, we get crab and stuff, all right, from time to time. And, you know, you'll pop up with Valencia scallops and things like that as well. Um, I suppose the Dingle Bay prawns are a bit far away whenever you've the Dublin Bay prawns so close to hand. Yeah, crab would be the bigger thing that I'd wind up. So, like, you'd get, you know, fiend crab and things like that. Mm, um, 
like it is it's hard to argue with the fish in Dublin the fish the quality of the fish in Dublin is actually far superior to what you can get oddly enough down south and it's just because the big fish suppliers in Dublin like the big fish suppliers at home will be pulling from Castletown Bear and Union Hall and that'll be it whereas in Dublin they're actually coming from Killybegs right the way down to Castletown Bear to Dingville to Union Hall then they'll be over to Wexford and they'll be pulling from Dublin as well they pull from all over so the standard of fish is actually superior and the range of fish is far superior which is more interesting which dishes do you find are the most popular ones on the menu at the moment uh, for dinner lamb uh, venison is popular it's, we'll sell good things like you always sell a certain amount of burgers and steaks they're like you know they're your staples they're your bread and butter particularly when you're in a neighbourhood restaurant because we get people who'll be coming in for dinner three and four times a week this isn't like you know, this isn't like the must receive where it's a special occasion and it's an event. And we have regular customers who will come three or four times a week and people who come every day for breakfast. Um, so you'll have that. But then outside of that, lamb and venison, and we sell a pile of fish. Yeah. And apps. I can come in on a Saturday morning, um, like downstairs now, which is today's Friday that we're doing this interview. I have 45 kilos of fish waiting to be prepped downstairs in the kitchen as I talk to you. And on a Saturday, I'll probably do the same again tomorrow. And by Sunday, I'll have burned through all of that. Will you be delegating that to one of the team, or will no, you take that on No, I normally do that. Yeah. I like doing that. So there's certain, yeah. you kind of like when you you find there are certain monotonous jobs that um, you just kind of like doing for They're some good for reason. Heads, yeah, that's it. Yeah, time so to think and yeah. plan. And so that's one of them, you know. And um, it's just, you know, you can't delegate everything. You have to do something yourself. Last year you were in the Eurotalk Young Chef of the Year final. Tell us what dish you had on the menu for that. For the well, for the actual skills test, we was with Claire Smith, who is Gordon Ramsay's head chef in his flagship Three Star in London on Hospital Road. And um, so we had black sole. So I did, I butter pushed the black sole, and I did it with um, two types of Irish seaweed and some wild Irish mushrooms and variations of cauliflower in so I think I had pickled, fried and pureed cauliflower and then for dessert I had done this um, it's like a rich we'd gotten this chocolate from Wicklow it's an Irish chocolate uh, called Winkies and we had so I'd made like a, a kind of a baked chocolate mousse it was really rich I'd done like a caramelised pear with it I'd gotten poutine from West Limerick <laughs> and I don't like from a secret location from a secret supplier yeah <laughs> and um, I had done I had kind of used the poutine to caramelise the pear and I'd made a burnt pear and poutine puree and some butterscotch jellies and little sea salt meringues I think that Wilkie's chocolate it has uh, does it have a three star great taste award yes there are two of them okay I think one of them is a two star and the other one is a three star or something like that um, so we had, I was the only one who actually used the two of them we were given two options and I used the two of them for variation but um, yeah, a couple of years ago when the Great Taste Awards were in Dublin and I was a judge at it one of the other judges on my table was from Harrods Bruce Langlands you call him he's like the director of food for, for yeah. Harrods in London and we had a chocolate to taste and he totally fell in love with that chocolate now it's blind tasting so you don't know at the time what the product is but I do believe it was Wilkie's yeah. and I think Harrods stock it now it was a fabulous chocolate it is a fabulous chocolate it's amazing like how 
how good Harrods actually can be for Irish food. Like they're just after taking on um, burnt salmon now. So you know that Burgita, Burgita, yeah, yeah Burgita and Bruce would be great yeah. pals now yeah, because she, of that partnership. She's just gotten in there now, and um, I met her yesterday, actually, two days ago, actually. And she was telling me about it. Like it's amazing, and Harris, it almost opens up an avenue for Irish suppliers. Once you're in there, it's kind of like it gives you a chance, like, to get into the London market. I mean, the London market is incredibly lucrative, and particularly for the type of food that that Ireland should be producing it is that higher end so it should be like the Michelin set in London really or the good uh, middle high end dining and um, Harrods just kind of seems to pave the way for an awful lot of these small Irish producers to get their foot in and it's great Bruce Langlands used to work in Ireland he worked for Marks and Spencers here he's Scottish I don't know if you've ever met him he worked for I think it was Super Quinn then and went yeah. from Super Quinn to to Harrods and then he, he had somebody that he worked with in Ireland who is Irish Anne Dunn she's from Cavan right. she ended up over there with him so the two of them are great supporters yeah. of it. It, they would come to the Bloss and Aaron Awards and judge at it and of course like I mean they're a step of ahead then because they see what's coming through yeah. and it is a great opportunity for food producers to, to be entering those awards not just to get an award to help market their products but they just never know what shells your yeah. product's going to end up on as a result of that. Yeah, and if you ever go into Harrods yourself and you see the amount of Irish food there, the mm. cheeses and beefs and things, it is remarkable. Cattle's like. cheese, yeah. West Limerick cheese is there it as is well. It is remarkable. Mm. Like. Um, it's fantastic. And they sell a lot of Irish cheese around St. Patrick's Day, apparently. It's a huge <laughs> seller then, yes, huge seller then. Yeah. And, yeah, and the pubs are lots of Guinness, so it's all fun. Yeah, yeah, happy days. <laughs> it's been lovely to, to see you and to catch up with you. It's great to see you looking so well. And best of luck now and continued success here at Malochny's. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Rachel Keeley has reviewed her latest dining spot, Brick Lane in Cork. And just before the break, I was in Clontarf catching up with Kerry chef John Fitzmaurice in Malochny's restaurant. We had a lovely chat. We still have details to come tonight about the Chef Cycle for Charity that's been organised by Yes Chef magazine's Shane Smith in County Clare in May. But before that, I have another recorded interview for you. And this time it's with cancer survivor Patricia Daly, whom I met at the Wise Traditions Conference in Limerick's Tomond Park. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Patricia, let's go back in time to 2008, 2009, and you mm-hmm. were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, that's right. It was in 2008 when I was 28. It came completely out of the blue. I just had a bit of flickering in my eye and a sort of temporary loss of vision and thought after about two months of that going on, I thought I have to get it checked out. But I didn't really have any headaches or anything or any pain. And uh, yeah, the diagnosis was... Um, really uh, a big shock um initially they were just saying it's detached retina but then um a few hours later i was with an um, ophthalmic surgeon and he said yeah it is a detached retina but because of a tumor uh malignant melanoma and i i hadn't really heard of tumors in in the eye or anything but um, it was very rare, especially at my age, so I had to go over to Liverpool to get treatment because at the time there was no treatment available in Ireland. 
and that's what I did uh, so I had plaque radiotherapy and it was very successful uh, shrank the tumour uh, in a short space of time and we thought brilliant uh, I got pregnant and then we had a baby end of uh, November in 2009 so about 15 months after treatments uh, but then shortly after giving birth my symptoms were back and I knew something was just not right but then it took quite a while a lot of backing and forthing to actually um, then get the tests done and uh, in May then they said yeah the tumour is right back it's, uh, it grew even bigger than before and uh, in the meantime I had also it had spread to the outside of uh, the eye so I had to go and have more radiotherapy and then in 2012 um, I just struggled with all the side effects we didn't quite know whether the tumour was really not active anymore and uh, I was presented with two options, either doing Avastin injections to um, help with the excess blood vessels I had in the eye or removal of the eye. And that's when I asked for a bit of uh, time, uh, a few weeks to, to try uh, a metabolic approach to cancer, the so-called ketogenic diet. And um, yeah, the rest is pretty much history. I mean, it's, it was amazing, the effects, yeah. So in that short space of time, in three weeks, you looked at your diet, you did research online, you completely overhauled your diet and you adopted this ketogenic diet. And that had a very positive impact on the tumour. Yeah, I had done my research before. Um, I obviously, like I think most cancer patients, I was constantly researching, especially because I was already a qualified nutritional therapist. I was researching my options and had come across it way before already. So it was all in my head. <laughs> I just needed sort of almost permission to go and try it. Uh, because before, my consultant always said, don't do anything extreme. Just, you know, let's wait and see. And I didn't take any supplements I was very careful and just did as I was told uh, but then when he said okay just go ahead and we monitor you and it was literally within um, the space of, of weeks yeah it was probably four we had to go in I think every four weeks for monitoring and um, and yeah it was just the effects were amazing yeah well tell us what is the ketogenic diet what is it yeah it's it's a low carb high fat and moderate protein approach so it's um, not like for instance Atkins that is quite high in protein as well it is a metabolic therapy so it's very powerful it has very uh, wide-ranging effects on metabolism and so the way we create energies in energy in the cells basically from food and water and um, yeah, it's basically teaching the body to burn fat, uh, mostly fat instead of mostly glucose. So most people uh, throughout the day, they would mostly be sugar burning. Um, and uh, whenever you have a, a dip, you know, you get dizzy and um, maybe a bit shaky and cold. And that's when you know, OK, my blood sugars are uh, going towards a bit too low. So let's eat something and especially eat carbs to push blood glucose up again. And does cancer love carbs and sugar and glucose? Is that what it kind of thrives on? And if, if we take that out of the diet, can that inhibit cancer? Yeah, there is more and more evidence now. I mean, it's not brand new evidence. There was actually a well-known researcher in Germany back in the 1920s called Otto Warburg, who established that cancer cells had a different metabolism 
than um, healthy cells. And it's it's quite a long story, but basically um, healthy cells, they can uh, make more energy by using the powerhouses of the cell, the mitochondria, for, for people who are interested in technical terms. But cancer cells, they, they're damaged. So what they do is just splitting glucose. So um, outside the mitochondria. So they need to take in a lot of glucose or sugar into the cell to generate, help their growth, to generate energy and to survive and metastasize in uh, spreads in, in some cases as well. So they are very dependent on um, that process, the sugar splitting process, and they have more um, yeah, insulin and uh, glucose receptors than healthy cells as well. Whenever people go on to special diets when they have an illness such as, as cancer, what immediately comes to mind is juicing and it's not very pleasant and it's a re- it can be quite difficult to do. But having looked at the ketogenic diet, there's lots of really nice food in there. Mm. Give us an example of what you'd be having for your breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's it's um, whole foods. There's nothing miraculous or sort of funny ingredients that you can't get in a normal shop, really. So for breakfast, there's uh, you can, for, for instance, have eggs um, scrambled in some coconut oil with some spinach um, or, you know, a boiled egg as well and uh, just adding a bit more fat in, in some ways. And uh, lunch could a typical lunch would be in the summer, for instance, a, a big salad. So greens, uh, green leafy vegetables are very important as well. And uh, added some oily fish, so sardines or mackerel. I like to have smoked mackerel when when I have very when I have very little time. And uh, and then yeah, just adding leftovers, for instance, as well from from the evening meal and a nice dressing um, to yeah get get the fat in. Um, or in the winter, I have uh, a little bit of um, soup or bone broth, and uh, I throw in some spices and herbs, and uh, again some some leftovers. Or uh, then in the evening, I I like to encourage people to have organ meat. I know a lot of people are sort of yuck. I'm not going to eat this. So when you, you say like liver and yeah, liver okay. kidneys. Um, uh, there are also people who have access to a good farmer. They can they can get any any organs really that uh, and it's there's lots of nice ways of making these so I make uh, liver pate or I use um, kidneys to make sort of um, I grind them up uh, in a food processor with butter and a little bit of apple to take the taste away and uh, some spices and onion and then I put them into muffin trays and bake them in the oven and it's really nice actually yeah, it sounds nice. and uh, yeah just top it up again with um, non-starchy vegetables so uh, broccoli would be great as well um, and also you know anything that is in season asparagus is a great food it sounds like the green vegetables are very much the vegetables that you're going for that you want to steer away from the likes of the the potatoes maybe even the carrots and beetroot because of the the carbohydrate levels that are in those but you have a tip for the likes of beetroot and and carrot Mm. in that you advise people to ferment them yeah exactly or there's more and more great companies now the culture club for instance that sell um the fermented foods so sauerkraut carrots beetroot um they're all really beneficial for the gut flora so gut health as well we know now that the good bacteria in fermented foods that that they can 
help with digestive health and then that translates into better immune health as well and um, I feel that these are very important and it gives people the opportunity um, to yeah by the fermentation process to actually reduce the carb carbohydrate count and that they can have those foods whereas if they're raw they wouldn't be able to to have them because they are very starchy. I want to ask you then about if you're enjoying a high fat diet a low carb diet and the protein is kind of coming in between does that have an impact on the other organs in your body? Yeah it does as, as at the beginning especially when uh, we are transitioning into uh, making energy in a different way so certain organs they have to work a bit harder and have to get used to to that or it's just working in a different way it's not necess- necessarily harder but the liver for instance has to produce a bit more bile uh, because bile is required for emulsifying and then also absorbing the fat so obviously if there is more fat uh, there has to be more bile at the beginning and so really supporting the the organs that have to work a bit harder also the, the pancreas has to change the the amount of enzymes it produces for instance so more enzymes to um, absorb the the fat in this case and um, so it's just a matter of supporting the organs that uh, have to change quite a bit and just uh, giving them uh, the right support at the very beginning is important so digestive and liver support would be uh, sort of the priorities for me especially at the beginning but then uh, usually uh, they get used to working in a different way and then it's fine. And when somebody does adopt a ketogenic diet and you call it going into ketosis yeah, and then you're in ketosis so it, it takes a while to kind of find yourself in that state you do recommend that they discuss it with their oncologist and they get certain blood tests done yeah i mean it it is mainly just to exclude that there's no underlying uh, conditions or for instance the liver is struggling or there's something with the kidneys or anything we need to address first or also there are more more and more people undiagnosed with diabetes type 1 diabetes and that can be dangerous so if if an individual isn't able to produce insulin, then a process called um, ketoacidosis can happen. It's basically a metabolic disorder where glucose goes up, but uh, ketones are up as well, and that's very dangerous. So to make sure there's definitely nothing wrong, I highly recommend yeah, having, having support and doing certain uh, medical tests before starting out. So what would the steps be for somebody listening that maybe is suffering from cancer at the moment and they think, gosh, you know, maybe this is something that, that, that they should be looking at? What would the next step be? Where could they go for information and, and, and obviously talk to their oncologist as well? Because I think it's important just to remind the listeners that you are a qualified nutritionist. You have been a, a cancer sufferer in the past, but you're also a qualified nutritionist and you, you are qualified to talk about this. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I, I do uh, much prefer if oncologists or any medical person is on board, whether that's also, you know, through the GP for monitoring for certain tests. And I don't always get this support, uh, but I 
I noticed that I have a lot of international clients and uh, I do feel especially in, in the States, I actually get referrals from oncologists or more and more people find me because they said, oh, well, my oncologist asked me to go into ketosis, to um, especially coming towards uh, treatment, to just look into it as an option. And um, so that's the ideal scenario. And if somebody has uh, no support, uh, what I do with my clients is I have a, a research sheet, a, a handout that I give them to take to their oncologist. And the oncologist can actually then uh, look into the research and go through the medical literature, him or herself. But it is, I mean, obviously they're not trained nutritionists. They, that's not their job. So I try to give them as, as much support as possible and make, make it easier. Uh, and I think it's just, it's a concept that is really not known at all um, in a lot of um, hospitals as well. And it's, it's so emerging and it's so cutting edge. And we are waiting now to get the results of the first uh, human clinical trials, so very um, strict studies, but it will probably take another two to three years. And unfortunately, as a cancer patient, you don't have the luxury of time. And that's why we are trying to make it as safe and as effective for patients who want to go into ketosis. So there are some good resources. I have my website where I give a lot of free information. I have ebooks as well with uh, meal plans, which I think is very important that um, people initially, they get a very clear idea. That's how a typical day looks like and um, that they get as much knowledge and education as possible. I also have a, a short uh, online course for people from all over the world who can learn more about ketosis and, you know, what the caveats are, how they can do it safely, food choices, and um, that's all video-based to make it as easy as possible for people. Um, and you're bringing a book out in <clears throat> April with Dominique Camp. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to be another great resource. And we have lots of um, expert opinions uh, in yeah, at the beginning of the book uh, from mainly also American scientists and oncologists who really uh, confirm that this is um, a dietary approach um, or it, it's a lifestyle that has a lot of potential to be used alongside conventional treatments. And it's a book that has um, research. It's the most important research for people to un understand what the basic concept is of the ketogenic diet. But then it especially has a load of practical tips and recipes. And I think that's just what people need. It's um, lots of ideas and variety uh, so that it doesn't get boring. And um, it's very simple recipes. A lot of my recipes are put in the blender and whiz and bake. <laughs> and uh, it's it's nothing. You don't need to be a sort of a master chef to be able to cook those those meals, and they're not time consuming either. And it's not just for people that are suffering from cancer. Especially Dominique's part is uh, the low carb approach. We call it just to teach people to embrace the fats and to just look into how they respond when. The, the carbs are lowered, um, how their energy is, how their general well-being is. And uh, there's a, actually a, a very good questionnaire as well. So how carb tolerant or intolerant are you? And I think that gives people a really good hint. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, this I have this and this and it could work for me if I look into just maybe replacing some of the carbs with fat. And uh, that's really just for general health as well. And especially 
I think also energy, which I think is very important, and quality of life, which I've seen can improve in, in a lot of people if they just make some, some tweaks. And following a ketogenic diet then, can that actually prevent you having cancer if you are maybe higher risk? Because there is some talk about, is it a metabolic disease or is it a genetic disease? Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, where the research is going at the moment as well. And there is research that shows if a person has constantly high blood sugar levels, um, and that could be for various reasons. It could also be for stress, for instance, which is, yeah, a bit of a concern um, because we all tend to be more and more stressed. That, yeah, if, if blood glucose is high all the time, which is something called hyperglycemia, um, then that can actually stimulate certain pathways that can cause cancer. And also if insulin um, is constantly high, we know that, again, that can stimulate cancer growth. And insulin is elevated when we have a high carb um, diet. So it's it's good to just, you know, get your head around all these different aspects. And I am convinced that there's a lot of steps we can take to protect ourselves. Patricia, so many questions, but unfortunately, no more time. If we direct people to www.patriciadaily.com, that's probably the best place for them to go. Thanks so much for talking to me. Best of luck with the book. We'll talk to you again whenever it comes out and continued good health. Yeah, thanks, Sharon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, you heard the interview I recorded with cancer survivor Patricia Daly at the Wise Traditions Conference in Limerick. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's with Yes Chef magazine Shane Smith, who has very exciting news about a cycling fundraiser for Cystic Fibrosis Ireland. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Shane, you're very welcome to the programme this evening and you're going to tell us all about the Yes Chef cycle. Yes, indeed I am, but first thank you very, very much for having me. Um, Hey, do you know what it is? This came out of nothing, as most things come out of nothing. But um, I started cycling last year. I'm sure you know I'm uh, 50, well, I'm 51 now, but I started cycling when I was 50. Uh, Just out of the blue, it's addictive. It really is addictive. And somebody said to me, would you do a little charity cycle? So I did one, and I ended up doing 300k at the end of last year. And was it a challenge? Of course it was a challenge. But it's very doable. It's a leisure cycle. It's not a race. It's, it's for fun. And then I thought, sure, we'll get a couple of chefs together and we'll go out for a spin. And next thing, team, yes, chef. Well, I mentioned it to one or two people, and I was in Tralee. And I rang Derry Clark, of all people. I said, Derry, what's it? I'm in. There was no sort of no discussion. He was just in. And he says, tell you who to call. Call this person, that person, the other person. You know, we have Warren Massey on board. We have J.P. McMahon. He's on board. And there was no question. They just decided, guys, let's do it. It'll be a great networking event. And I was thinking, should we get 30 or 40 guys? It's now sitting at 126. Not bad, is it? Absolutely incredible. So it is because it is a three-day cycle and that means that they're taking time out of their busy kitchens to do this. Well, it's over a chef's weekend. A chef's weekend starts on a Monday morning. And um, I wanted to do something you know, a little bit interesting as well. So I rang Brigitte from uh, Bird, the Burn Smokehouse 
Uh, and she jumped on board and she says, I'll do it, I'll do it. I said, well, even better again. What about cycling out of Lisbon, Varna? Um, there's no doubt that the west coast of this island is so picturesque. And I said, look, let's do that. We'll cycle out of Lisbon, Varna. On day one, everybody will meet around 9 or 10 o'clock. We'll all cycle out. And we'll cycle up the coast road. Uh, to uh, up the coast road round by Ballyvaughan and on to Galway. And um, I will, we'll all stay then. We're staying in the Connacht and Flannery's. And um, then we will stay there that night. We'll, the following morning, we'll uh, go out to Urterard and around by Mamcross and double back in the coast road back into the same hotel again that night. And on day three, we cycle back down around to Ballyvaughan, except we turn left at Ballyvaughan with, and not take the rest, west coast or the, the coast road. We'll go up the Corkscrew Hill, which is actually about the only real challenge in the entire three-day affair. I wanted this to be... You want to have people arriving back to Lisbon Varna feeling exhilarated, saying, Oh my God, I did 300k, wow! So it's 300 kilometres over three days, around 100 kilometres per day, all being well. Correct and right, yes. Now that sounds quite challenging. What level of cycling do you need to be at to be able to do that? Well, put it like this. When I started cycling in uh, May of last year, I, I bought the bike off a, a guy called Yaris. Min, I'm sure you know him. I know him well. I do indeed. He's been on the show in the past. There you go. And uh, as all things, I think I mentioned, uh, I, I drank red wine tea before. And I bought a bike when I was watching the Late Late Show. I was on Facebook and there was last red wine in my hand. And my wife said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? Don't buy a bicycle. And I said, I'll buy it. I cycled three quarters of a mile away from our house. I thought my life was going to end. I was seeing stars. I never factored into the equation. I actually had to cycle home as well. But do you know what? I did it. And then the next day... I did a little bit more, and next day a bit more, and a bit more, and a bit more. I just built it up, and suddenly, a few weeks later, I was out and I'd done 17k, or sorry, 17 miles, and uh, I thought, wow, this is amazing. Then I joined a cycling club, and when you go out with people, and you're having a chat, and a yarn, and you're moving up and down the crew, you say, oh my God, I'll go back and speak to Eddie, because he'll love this, and or, so he might come up and tell me something. Suddenly, you've done 20 or 30 miles on a Tuesday evening. Have you found that it is a sport that a lot of chefs are involved in? I'm shocked. The amount of chefs. I mean, I, I, like well, Derry, one guy, as soon as uh, Derry said that, he would do it. Ross Lewis said he'd come on board. Ross, Ross is a diary, mightn't allow him to do it at the moment. And another guy rang me then, Warren Massey from the Drury Street buildings. And he's another friend of Derry's. And then one after the other, Gareth Mullins from The Marker. Brian McCarthy from Greens, and then there's other chefs, of course, who actually don't really cycle an awful lot, but they're getting on board as well. People have gone out and bought bikes at this stage. Bike-to-work scheme is a great thing, for starters. You get your employer to buy it for you, and you pay it back. Less the VAT, less the tax, less everything, so it's not, it's not terribly expensive. Is it just for chefs, or can other people join in? It's for cystic fibrosis, so anybody can join in. Tell us, how much is it to participate? I've pitched it at 500. 500 euros. That's the minimum. 360 sterling, 500 euro. And for that, the chefs get themselves to the start line. Or sorry, anybody gets themselves to the start line. 
once they get there, we will look after them from there until the finish line. And we, we will put them up in the hotels, we will feed them. There will be um, the panel of chefs that very kindly come on board and said they will cook alongside us. Um, Bunzel have come along and said they will uh, supply hot food cooking stations. So it's not sort of cold pasta. It's going to be something fairly decent. Breaks have come on board and said they'll supply the, um, the food. Um, Flowgas have come on board and give us, given us a fairly hefty um, sponsorship sum. And uh, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be very enjoyable. So you're at 120 at the moment. What is the target number? How many would you like to see cycling out for Cystic Fibrosis Ireland? If I had um, 150 for year one, I think I'd be very happy. However, I'm saying that I think a couple of these people will fall off their bicycles even before they buy bicycles. So, okay. But for everyone that, that falls off at the moment, I'm getting two in. Fantastic. So if, I can, if I can get up to 150, 200 people and there's a few cancellations at the end, I'll be a very happy camper. And if we can give a nice, sizable sum away to charity and make this a very social event, because that's what it's about. It's going to be sort of, I mean, the last night um, were actually, the, some people, of course, will have to rush back to their kitchens to get, to get back onto the stove. But we're actually having a little bit of a shindig below in uh, Lisbon and Varna. It is actually the Burn Slow Food Festival that week. So we're organising, hopefully we'll have a little bit of crack. Gareth Mullins from The Marker in Dublin suggested that we get, there's a little apparatus you can put onto the back cogs of a bicycle that'll go onto a little dynamo that'll be attached to a hot plate. And then we'll get chefs to do a little omelette challenge and see who can, you know, get Ross Lewis cycling and me cooking or vice versa. And, you know, just a bit of fun, a bit of crack, and we're going to have a, you know, a wind down after your three-day event. Well, it sounds like it is going to be some crack, all for a great cause. Where can people get more information and sign up? If people go on to yeschef.ie forward slash team yes chef, there's a logon, there's a donation uh, button, you can donate in euros or sterling and uh, all monies will be gratefully received. Shane, thanks so much for telling us about it tonight and the very best of luck with it. Sharon, you're a sweetheart and I hope to see you there, okay? Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Sadly, that does bring us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks so much for your company and to all of this evening's guests, Rachel Keeley, John Fitzmaurice, Patricia Daly and Shane Smith. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.